Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, the world watched in horror as Hamas fighters inflicted the deadliest attack in Israel's history over the weekend, an unimaginable assault on innocent civilians, including babies and the elderly, leading Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to declare that his country was at a war. How is the average Canadian to wrap their minds around this as we see shows of solidarity for Israel and rallies in support of Palestine? In our own cities, we get into it in this episode of Real Talk. Real Talk is made possible with support from Rello. Have you been dreaming of starting a new career? Maybe being your own boss, running a thriving business, leaving cubicle life behind? If you want all that, plus unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. That's R-E-L-O. Rello is Alberta's top real estate school, and they'll support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license and beyond. Plus, with Rello, you can study 100% online on your own schedule. And right now, you can save 20% on any Rello course by using the real the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, at Rello. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Real Talk. Uh, in just a moment, we'll be going live uh, to Israel, Harish, Israel, where we'll speak with a friend of mine from high school who spent the weekend in and out of bomb shelters with her family, her husband, and their three young girls. A deadly weekend, as you obviously know. The entire world is talking about a terrorist attack launched on Israel by Hamas fighters starting Saturday. A coordinated attack by land, by air, by sea that claimed well over a thousand lives with thousands more injured and, of course, hostages taken. A horrific scene as rockets launched into major Israeli cities, including as far north as Tel Aviv. More than 250 people killed, executed at a music festival. Reports of rapes of infants being beheaded in front of family members living on kibbutz. And then a deadly response from Israel, known as Operation Iron Swords. As millions of people, Israelis and Palestinians, will ultimately pay a horrific price as tensions have escalated to a point that many hoped would never happen. We'll be talking to Charles Adler about this in just a moment. We'll be taking a look at the response from around the globe. Many notable nations standing in solidarity with Israel. Many pro-Palestinian demonstrations in cities, including our own. We're going to take a look at politicians' responses, what members of the public have to say, and ultimately what this means for a region that has seen warring, that has seen fighting throughout the Israeli occupation of Palestine. We're also going to take a moment to go back to an interview we had on this show back in May, one that raised a lot of eyebrows as Palestinian-Canadian activist Musa Kaskas talked about Hamas and why Hamas operates 
course, many spokespersons out of Palestine speaking on behalf of elected government there and the people distancing themselves from the group recognized as a terrorist group by Western governments, but still insisting that this violence is happening as a result of that occupation. If you're like me, the average Canadian, you're trying to make sense of this all. You're seeing this in a way that's twisting your gut, that's breaking your heart. And of course, you also recognize the very contentious nature of conversation around this conflict, most particularly when it involves people that may not have a fulsome understanding of exactly what's going on or how we got here. We're going to endeavor to learn more from the perspective of someone right now that I've known for quite some time. As a matter of fact, since I was 15 years old, Kinneret Ozeri was born and raised in Calgary, but after high school, she started traveling to Israel many, many times until about 18 years ago, she decided to set up her life there for good. She's since found love. She's married her husband, Ohad, and they have three beautiful daughters. Uh, she's joining us from their town, Harish, which is about halfway between Tel Aviv and Haifa. Kinneret, welcome to Real Talk, and thank you for making time for us. I, I won't ask how you're doing, because I know that it's been a brutal past few days, but but how are you and your family holding up? Hi, Ryan. Um, a lot of people have been asking me this question, and the only way I can answer is by saying I'm safe. I live in a relatively safe area. Um, I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy that my loved ones are near me, but I'm scared. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to imagine what the past few days would have been like for anybody uh, in this region, uh, let alone people that are concerned about the well-being of their children. You sent us some family photos, uh, one in particular, your three daughters uh, playing on a what appears to be a lamppost in a town square. You were telling me that was just Thursday, and all of a sudden everything changed on Saturday. What, what was it like through your experience? Tell us about Saturday. Well, that, that picture is actually from Jerusalem. <laughs> you can see the post um, has the emblem. And we had a, a wonderful uh, holiday, celebrated Sukkot. And at the end of the Sukkot holiday is Simchat Torah, uh, which fell on Shabbat. Simchat Torah is a holiday where we celebrate finishing reading the Torah and we start again from the beginning. It is one of the happiest days of the year. Um, and on Saturday, we were supposed to make our way to synagogue and, um, we were stopped by a neighbor, um, who came up to our, our apartment and told us that we will not be going anywhere. Um, I had seen her husband, uh, rush home from synagogue a few minutes earlier. Um, so I knew something was up. He's high up in the army. Um, this is a religious family, and you know, on the Sabbath, we don't use telephones, we don't use automobiles, and nothing like that. Um, but uh, the um, Gaza started launching rockets at us, and everybody, all of the soldiers, got right into their uniforms, religious or not, had their phones on, got into their cars, got to the bases, and started getting uh, things organized because human life is valued all above everything in Judaism. 
So what have the past few days been like? When, when we were coordinating this conversation, we appreciate you making time for us. You've let us know for obvious reasons. The conversation may need to end immediately at any point if you're ordered back right. into your bomb shelter. You have a bomb shelter at your apartment. Is, is that right? You've been in and out of it as, 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 as rockets have flown overhead. What have the last 72 hours yes, been like? We live, because we live in a relatively new area, um, all of the apartments are equipped with uh, bomb shelters. And so it's our spare bedroom. We've been told to stock up, um, have food, have um, toilet paper, anything that we'll need for 72 hours, enough water for, for everybody. Um, rockets are also coming in from the north now, from Hezbollah, they've joined in. And um, they're, it's, it kind of feels like how we felt during Corona, being stuck inside and, you know, just, um, you know, we have food, we, we're, we're not, um, you know, starving, we're not in, a, in, in any way in a difficult situation like um, the people down in the south and in the people in the north, but we have to be on high alert all the time. Just before we started this conversation, um, there was a siren and it actually landed in an Arab village right next to uh, where we live. So you and I, uh, I want to let people know your your family was was visiting Canada. You, your husband, your daughters. Just I don't know when did we have dinner? Uh, six weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. And and, yeah. and uh, we're catching up, and you're talking to me about life in Israel and how happy you are there, and and how 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 blessed you are by your daughter's experience there. You're finding fulfillment in your career, and we did talk a little bit, a little bit about instability in the region. We did talk about how it's much different than the, the first 20 years of your life when you lived in Canada. But I have to imagine, as as you told me you were getting used to it, you, you told me it was something you didn't really think twice about. I have to imagine that's that's different now. How, how are you wrapping your mind around what's happening? Um, This is very different. Um. I think going into the bomb shelter, although it's not, it's, it, it's difficult and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, but you sort of do get used to it. Um, it's not something that you should have to get used to, but, but you do, but what has happened now, the way that uh, Hamas has attacked children, elderly people raping and, and, just having no regard for human life it, it is is just they're 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 doing what they set out to do they're terrorizing us they're a terrorist organization and they're terrorizing us uh how would you describe the the average person's feeling now when it when it comes to you know and, and i'm not here to, to cast aspersions or to pretend like i know anything about national defense or or border security or what have you but israel has has, has long been seen as having the most robust or some of the most robust intelligence, border security, military capability, et cetera, on, on the planet. Um, the entire nation appears to have been caught off guard here uh, with this Absolutely. attack on Saturday. Uh, what are people saying? Um, there are some theories. Some are conspiracy theories that that they did know they did see but i don't think that's the case i can't see that happening i think that we were really caught off guard usually there are quite a few um uh, uh, troops that are set up um along the border so many so that if there's even just the slightest movement they're able to detect it 
Um, but for various reasons, there's, there were some issues uh, happening in the West Bank. And so some of the soldiers were moved up there. Um, also, some of uh, the soldiers were moved into the Ter other territories where um, people were celebrating Jewish holidays. And so because they're in the settlements, um, it's dangerous and um, soldiers were sent to protect those um, those people. And that is very controversial because, um, because it is a contested territory. And so should be soldiers, should soldiers be sent there? Shouldn't they be protecting themselves if they choose to put themselves in that kind of danger? By this there. this uh, has been, uh, you know, people are tr sort of trying to quantify this or to compare it to terror attacks. And, and, and I've seen some people call it Israel's 9-11 or Israel's yeah. Pearl Harbor. I will say that one thing that, that this uh, attack or that this uh, conflict has in common early on with 9-11 is, is those heartbreaking posters that were being put up by families uh, desperate to find their loved ones. Um, I, you had sent me a few examples of ones that you'd seen. I don't know if these are people that you know personally, but but obviously it's I think it's hard for Israeli intelligence right now or the Israeli government to release numbers of people that were abducted. But right. it sounds like it was significant. Can you can you talk to us about that? Um, yes, fortunately, at this point, I don't know anybody personally from any of those posters, and I'm 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 really afraid of what is to come and when we find out more about who we've lost. Um, but of course, you can't live in Israel and not know somebody who knows somebody who who was killed. And you know, I'm I'm a teacher, I'm a lecturer, I know a lot of young people, and so. Um, you know, obviously that party that went on, everybody knows somebody. Um, uh, turning Facebook on and every single time seeing another poster, uh, a child that was kidnapped, a child that was killed, um, um, teenagers that are missing from the party. It's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. Grandparents. Just, it's unbelievable. So you've got, uh, you know, the American president, um, you know, the, the prime minister in, in the UK uh, yeah. warning neighboring nations. They've not mentioned Hezbollah. They've not mentioned any groups by name, but they've strongly warned any groups that would, you know, in my paraphrase, take advantage of Israel's vulnerability at this situation or take advantage of, you know, what may be perceived as, a, as an opportunistic time to attack to to refrain from doing that, suggesting there'd be serious complications and, and <laughs> well, it's consequences. Been done. It's been done. It's being done. Um, my friends were up north actually for the holiday and um, and came back with their family members because they live right up next to Lebanon and absolutely could not stay home. And, um, you know, just last night I took down mattresses and pillows, um, you know, for their for her sister and her nieces and nephews. I mean, that's what happens. Uh, people just... Um, come and stay uh, at other family members' houses. Kibbutzim, um, people from the Kibbutzim uh, who went through such horrors in the south have have uh, moved into Kibbutzim um, in the center of the country. They all have a you know um, a network where so they can help each other and stay with each other. We come together. We always come together. So you've got American warships there. 
with, with fighter planes. Uh, obviously, this has the potential to escalate in a big way. People are talking about nuclear implications. Uh, Iran is involved. I mean, Hamas has, has stated that they received their weapons and, and, and military support, so to speak, uh, infrastructure-wise from Iran. What's your message to Canadians here that are going to be uh, trying to wrap their minds around this? I probably don't have to tell you there have been um, strong uh, shows of, of solidarity and support for Israel, and there have been uh, loud and, and fulsome declarations of support by way of public gatherings for Palestine uh, in many Canadian cities, including our own. Um, as you speak to you know your fellow Canadians, you spent the first 20 years of your life here. What's your message? Well, for those who are supporting the Palestinians, first of all, I'm not anti-Palestinian. I'm anti-Hamas. I'm anti-terror. Um, I, I wish peace for all of us. I think that there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation um, with the, the Internet, social networks. Uh, so many people have opinions, but so many of them are uninformed. Um, if you really truly believe in something, go and learn about it. Um, and to and, and and you know before forming strong opinions, know exactly what you're standing behind. Do your homework. Um, and to my Jewish Canadian friends, um, just uh, I, I actually wrote something for my synagogue that was read last night by. A, the head of Jewish Federation and my message to them was that we just need to stick together. We need to continue um, doing things as a community, enjoying being together, enjoying uh, practicing Judaism, keeping the spirit of Judaism alive in our homes. Um, because as I said, uh, Judaism uh, honors more than anything else, uh, human life. We love life and we respect human life. And I wish for everybody to live a peaceful life. I appreciate that comment. Let me follow up. Uh, you say you're not anti-Palestinian. Uh, no. You say you're anti-Hamas. Um, pe yeah. pe people are, are rightfully pointing out that, that I mean, you know, people are, will, will, I, I saw an interview on CNN, a remarkable one uh, over the weekend that, that said essentially, you know, what people saw in South Africa uh, was nothing compared to what's happening in Palestine. They talk about the oppression of the Palestinians. They talk about the Israeli occupation. Uh, people talk about how the average Palestinian may not support Hamas, but lives under the thumb of Hamas. Uh, right, people also right. talk about how millions of Palestinians will suffer now as, as electricity and fuel and food. And we're talking about the elderly Absolutely. and children is, are cut off to these regions in, in, in Gaza and in the West Bank. And then... People also talk about how, and, and, and again, this is speculation, and take it for what it's worth, these are people's interpretations, but this is just what I see around me in conversation, that for Hamas, this has nothing to do with territory. This has to do with, if you'll permit me, wiping Jews off the face of the earth. Uh, 100%, Ryan. So you got do, it. You, do you have any, I'm not, I'm not going to ask about peace in the Middle East and and I'm not trying to be silly here, uh, but but do you have any reason for optimism? Do you have any reason for hope here? In term in terms of and a positive or, or or I'm not a positive outcome here, but but that that, that the peace will ever be reached in this region. That that, that the story will um, ever cease to be a continuing. As long as Hamas one. has control, um, as long as uh, Iran and and Lebanon and all of the countries that. Um, are anti-Semitic and and um, and don't want Israel to exist. Uh, it's 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 going to be very difficult 
but it doesn't mean we should get, give up. I don't want to live in a world without Israel. It is the nucleus of the world. It is the heart of the world. It is an incredibly important place full of culture and history and beauty. And we just have to do our best as people live good lives, be as good as we can to each other. Uh, Kinneret, as uh, you know, on a personal level, I'm, I'm grateful that you and your family okay, are okay. Our, our, our hearts are shattered at the violence that has unfolded, the innocents that have been killed and abused and abducted and, and maimed. And, uh, and uh, I don't have adequate words, but I am uh, grateful that you've made time uh, to give us a first person and very real perspective here on the show. Thank you for doing this interview. Thank you for giving me the chance to share my feelings with everyone. Appreciate That's uh, Kinneret Ozeri, who's joining us from her home uh, in Harish, which is about halfway between Tel Aviv and Haifa. You can let us know what you think about what you're hearing here on the show. I see that word apartheid popping up, and I see a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people, and we're going to get into this with Charles Adler in just a second, uh, organizing demonstrations, but pro-Palestine demonstrations over the weekend in, in cities, including Canadian cities, St. Albert and Edmonton. Uh, talking uh, about and almost celebrating what they're describing as decolonization in action. Um, and uh, I think it's horrific and I think it's despicable. And uh, I think the whole situation is heartbreaking and devastating to see. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, holding rallies uh, and waving flags in support of Palestine uh, hours after thousands of people, the death toll at 1,500 after the first 24 hours or so, including more than 250 executed at a music festival, reports of girls being raped beside the dead bodies of their friends, if we want to get graphic and get real here, uh, it, to me, uh, is, is absolutely unbelievable. And I haven't quite known how to wrap my mind around it. Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, tweeting about it uh, just a short time ago. Uh, this is yesterday, saying the glorification of violence is never acceptable in Canada by any group or in any situation. Says the prime minister, I strongly condemn the demonstrations that have taken place and are taking place across the country in support of Hamas's attacks on Israel. Let's stand united against acts of terror. More on that in just a moment. Plus, we're going to bring you about a minute from our conversation back in May with Palestinian Canadian Musa Kaskas, who joined me here in studio. It was a very polarizing interview. Uh, saw a lot of uh, feedback, put it that way, from people that were uh, very grateful to hear his voice and some people that were absolutely furious to hear his voice on this platform. These conversations happen because of Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Complete Care Restoration who want to remind you that while they're known for helping people get back on their feet for fire and flood, when they sort of basically take how someone's life was before natural disaster struck and restore it back to better than it was they also offer construction and renovation services we're seeing a lot of people especially those with office space downtown maybe condo buildings reimagine based on the housing crisis based on post-pandemic realities reimagine how they're using their space the team at complete care restoration has more than a decade of experience working in commercial spaces and they'd love to talk to you about your next project we give them two thumbs up based on our personal experience you can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. 
Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that you'll find them in 16 different Alberta communities. Number 17, getting set to open this spring in Edmonton. Uh, Coming up on October 21st and 22nd, an all-you-can-eat German feast at the Friesen Brothers locations listed on their website. This is a German-inspired all-you-can-eat meal. You can find details on their October Feast All-You-Can-Eat Buffet by visiting them in-store or checking out Friesen.com slash October Feast. And this is our chance to give a shout-out to the distinguished alumni of the University of Alberta. That's right, we're getting set to push the limits of what's possible and celebrate those who are already doing exactly that. The alumni, the green and gold from the University of Alberta. Now, they're known for pushing the limits of what's possible, and that's why the 2023 Alumni Awards will honor the outstanding achievements of 30 University of Alberta graduates. From breakthroughs in surgery to revolutionizing Canada's investment landscape, these leaders have turned passion into purpose. You see Dr. Dina Hinshaw there on the list when you visit their website. And you can get inspired yourself as well. Delve into their incredible triumphs and learn how they're leaving a lasting mark on the world. Visit uab.ca slash alumni23. That's uab.ca slash alumni23 to see this year's Changemakers. Charles Adler coming up in 60 seconds, but first we wanted to revisit an interview on this show back on May 11th of this year. Musa Kaskas, a Palestinian Canadian living in Edmonton, joined us. Of course, this well ahead of, well before the violence that erupted this weekend. But he talked about Hamas and he talked about the occupation of Palestinian territory He talked about how some people write off a Palestinian perspective. He said, essentially, not so fast. If they resist, if they resist that bombing, well, we'll just call them terrorists. And that's exactly what's happening now, right? Any group like Hamas, I'm going to get into the controversial stuff. Hamas, they're a terrorist organization, according to the Canadian government. Hamas only exists as a resistance group. If Israel wasn't there, Hamas wouldn't exist. If there was no occupation, Hamas itself in its charter says we are resisting the occupation of our people. And again, I'm not defending uh, terrorism because I, I know right after this, I'm going to get a bunch of lackeys from yeah, we both will, yeah. Israel now and uh, JDL and Meyer Weinstein and all these guys. They'll just come out and say, oh, well, everything he said, he's just a terrorist supporter. So forget it. Well, OK, fine. You want to say that? Fine. But if you want to have an honest discussion. Think about it. Think about it really deeply. Do you think that a resistance to occupation can exist without an occupation? Right? I mean, an occupation in itself necessitates a resistance. Otherwise, you're just sitting down and dying. So all of these groups that are coming out, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, all of these groups, this is Israel's fault. When you bomb people and kill them, what do you think they're going to do? When you tell them that, hey, you're not allowed to use this road. This road is for Jews only. They're the only ones allowed to drive on this road. You have to take this road that is, uh, that'll take you 20 minutes more instead of one minute. And also you're going to be stopped and, and searched on this road, right? And these, this is apartheid by, by no other, like this is exactly apartheid. That was Musa Kaskas on this show on May 11th of this year. You can find that full interview on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. The first episode of every, every week, we're joined by a legendary Canadian talk show host and Emmy Award winner, Charles Adler. And uh, this week feels obviously a little bit different, Charles, with unimaginable horror unfolding starting on Saturday. How are you wrapping your mind around it? Well, you know, it's difficult um, 
It's difficult to separate uh, everything uh, that I feel about uh, my own heritage uh, from what goes on here. Uh, you know, this is the uh, a Jewish state that's uh, being attacked by a group, and you heard from your guest a few moments ago, by a group that just wants to murder as many Jews as possible. And I think that that is something you brought up as well. Uh, we can talk about root causes until the cows come home. And I'm sure I'd agree with your guest, the, at least the, the taped guest that you just ran a few moments ago, uh, talking about uh, comparing Israel to to apartheid. He and I may be on the same page on 90%, 99% of what he's saying, and that's entirely possible. I'm not a supporter of Netanyahu. However, because you understand uh, the roots of the problem does not give you the moral authority to sign off on genocidal warfare which Hamas is engaged in as a terrorist organization, which is about murdering innocents, whether it's the hundreds who were murdered at that concert, whether it's the invasion of the kibbutz, which we are now told uh, involved uh, the cutting heads off. And I'm sorry if this um, demoralizes members of the audience. Uh, the truth will always demoralize you if you don't have the, the courage to face the truth. We have to have the courage to see what we see. And one of the reasons you're seeing many reporters and many people who are somewhat distant from the actual situation, many people who have no no Jewish heritage, no Muslim heritage, no Palestinian heritage, and you're seeing them breaking down on various television channels is because they are now seeing pictures of babies with their heads cut off. Some are seeing pictures of a woman who was uh, murdered while giving birth, and uh, the fetus is still attached uh with an umbilical cord, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to the woman. It's difficult to talk about. Uh, yeah. Dead woman, a dead child. Um, the idea that uh, Hamas represents the Palestinian people is ridiculous. If Hamas had any respect for the Palestinian people, uh, if Hamas didn't think of the Palestinian people simply as, as props in their effort to fulminate as much Jew hatred as possible, they wouldn't be doing this because anyone who goes into a kibbutz and chops the heads off babies knows fully well that the families of those children, the communities in those areas, and the army that represents them is going to be doing horrible things to Palestinian men, women, and children. You, you, cannot, you cannot defend Palestine by, committi by committing genocidal uh, warfare uh, against the, the Jewish state. That's a ridiculous, that's a non-starter. As far as uh, Hamas representing um, Gaza, it represents Gaza because Hamas murdered members of Fatah, uh, who are a more popular group and a more moderate group, and I use the word moderate uh, with as, as much discipline as I can, uh, because they are not a democratic organization either, but uh, they are uh, head and shoulders above uh, above Hamas, and that is why the people in the West Bank, being ruled by Fatah, uh, have a much better economy and a much better life than the people who are ruled by, by Hamas. When you look at the hundreds of thousands of rockets, when you look at the expense that Hamas goes to, to conduct its warfare against the Jews, just imagine if that money was being used for universities and hospitals and building a tourist trade in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Uh, which is what Gaza is. I'm not talking about 
the city of Gaza and 2 million people squeezed into a small area, but I'm just talking about its general location, the economic opportunity that Gaza would have if millions and frankly billions weren't spent on on warfare uh, is incredible. None of this, none of what I'm telling you is giving an excuse to the Netanyahu government for being obstinate in, 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 in having a moderate settlement with the Palestinian people. None of this uh, preempts the idea of a Palestinian state, which I support. I don't know how any person who respects democracy cannot support sovereignty for the Palestinian people. So as I say, uh, the uh, the guest that you had on uh, who was uh, making the case that Israel is an apartheid state, I agree with him on, on, on many of the things he says, but I do not agree on the idea that because of the situation that Israel is in with, the political situation that Israel has with, with Palestinian groups, that that absolutely guarantees that this kind of thing uh, can happen. And there is no justification for murdering, for mass murdering people, men, women, and babies. There's absolutely no justification for that. And if we fall into the trap of believing that in some cases mass murder is justified, then we shame ourselves as human beings. And you've got a horrific situation now where, where Israel and, 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 and Netanyahu talking very specifically how his plan is, is essentially to, to inflict damage and punishment retribution on a scale that, that uh, Palestinians and in particular Hamas could not process. There will be thousands of casualties, many if not most of them innocent. I mean, it's to, to, for the average Canadian, Charles, that has a, yeah. a, a, that, that's endeavoring to have a working understanding of this but yeah. can't understand the complexities, the average person is still going to say thousands and, and ultimately millions of people will pay some price for yeah. this innocent people and uh it, it's tough to wrap your mind around well that that's that's what the sadness is 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 about on my face you know i i, I can't i can't stand uh, seeing uh the mass murder of jews but there's there, there's one thing that always troubles me more than that it's it's jews having to retaliate in in the way that they are retaliating right now uh, you know, it's just it's 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 very very difficult uh, growing up with the traditions and the, the heritage that I grew up with, and uh, seeing all this blood, which will be on 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 the hands of Israel. It's easy uh, to do the math. It's easy to say, well, Israel's reacting, Israel's responding, and I can sit here and say that the, all of the blood is on the hands of the of the Hamas, but I know bloody well that that's just not realistic. I mean, you know, Israel feels at the moment, and I'm sure they have the support of the majority of Israelis, that based on how vulnerable they now know themselves to be, and until now they did not know they were this vulnerable, uh, they could have some sort of minimal relationship with, with, with Gaza, uh, and, and even though it's run by uh, an organization that wants to murder as many Jews as possible, but those days are over. And uh, now most Israelis feel, and the government and the, and the military feel, that they need to wipe out Hamas. Well, how do you wipe out Hamas? How do you liquidate that group without, without a lot of, and I, I, can't, I, I don't like to use these words, collateral damage, because collateral damage seems to, like such a clinical term. So let's just say what it is. How do you wipe out Hamas without killing many, many uh, innocent civilians. If, if this doesn't bring 
sadness to everyone's face, regardless of their heritage. Um, I don't know what does. The, these are these are sad days, and these days will not be short. I have no idea how long this war will be, but it won't be a six-day war, and it won't be a two-week war, and it won't be a two-month war. It'll be much, much worse than that. Are you concerned that this turns into, that this escalates to the point where the United States is engaging with yes. Lebanon, I'm, Iran? I, I, am con- I am concerned about that. I, you know, uh, I'm always concerned that, uh, uh, that re- regional wars turn into world wars, mm-hmm. to be brutally honest with you. Um, we know that Vladimir Putin is spoiling for a much larger war. Uh, the idea, and I, I sometimes restrain myself, uh, when I hear commentators and, and, and professors and people who should know better, when I hear them say that Putin simply wants a limited war with Ukraine, that is absolute nonsense. Putin wants a much larger war than just Ukraine. Putin wants much more than just Ukraine. And globally, there's no doubt in my mind that Putin would love to have a much larger war in the Middle East to distract the world from what he wants to do at the at this very moment, which is to gobble up as much Ukrainian territory as possible. And um, th- there's no way that the... Uh, that the, the rockets launched into Israel and some of the butchery I'm not going to repeat details of that I described in just a few a few moments ago. There, there's no way that this doesn't play into Putin's hands. Bunny Slippers in the live chat on YouTube says we have two wars going on right now that could escalate beyond those borders very quickly. Um, Tracy has a go. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we want to speculate. I don't know how productive that is. There's a lot of theories. And I had asked uh, my friend Kinneret, who joined us, uh, just as as a civilian, how she's feeling and how her neighbors are feeling about Israel essentially being caught off guard on Saturday. Um, and uh, Tracy has an interesting question for you. She says, what do you think, Chuck, about the theory that that information provided by Donald Trump about Israel being given to Putin was shared? And that's how Hamas snuck through. Tracy says it's a serious question. I'm not necessarily asking you to comment specifically on that theory, um, it may be dismissive to refer to it as a conspiracy theory, but everybody's got their theories on what could have happened here. But but what do you make of that? Is Israel caught on its heels? Well, the, the snuck through thing, I mean, it's snuck through. I mean, let, let's be specific here. Israel managed uh, by, by spending over a billion dollars to seal up those tunnels to make it impossible for uh, Hamas to tunnel in. So they didn't tunnel in. The same John Deere's and Caterpillars that you see on construction sites uh, and you see road crews uh, using in in Edmonton and all of Alberta and all all of the world, certainly all of Canada. The the Palestinians in in Gaza have those same uh, bulldozers, and they bulldozed a number of walls and got into uh, Israel. I know that may sound crazy to some people, but that's what happened. And so they didn't need Donald Trump secrets and Russian secrets to do that. Um, should Donald Trump be put on trial for? Uh, sharing uh, secrets with the Russians, well, uh, of course he should. But I don't want to get all half-cocked about um, the notion that Donald Trump is responsible for this or that uh, that, that Donald Trump's uh, callousness at Mar-a-Lago and whatever business Donald Trump is involved in and uh, likely selling secrets, because I don't think that Donald Trump ever does anybody any favors. I think everything's transactional with Donald Trump. So I have no idea how, how, how much of 
what's happening here has anything to do with uh, with the intel that Donald Trump uh, shared with Russia. But I can simply tell you that uh, whether you're American, uh, Canadian, Jewish, Muslim, uh, agnostic, uh, secular, whatever you want to call yourself, if you're sharing uh, secret intelligence, whether it's in the hands of Canada, whether it's in the hands of the United States, and you want to share it with 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 Vladimir Putin, I want you in a box mm. with cells, with bars for the rest of your freaking life. The idea that people want to justify Donald Trump's behavior, um, and I, I could I could go on into everything else that 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 he's he's accused of and everything else that he's actually been uh, charged with which I'm not going to do and to take up all of your time. I agree. But especially when we look at what's happening right now in the Middle East and we look at who Donald Trump wants to share his secrets with, I'm sorry, Russia refused. I just want to put this on the record. Uh, Vladimir Putin had a chance to condemn the Hamas terrorism. He chose not to. I don't I don't care which, which, which leader you are of which country. If you cannot condemn Hamas terrorism, you are not a morally legitimate authority in in my humble opinion uh this uh video posted by uh michael cooper who's the the conservative member of parliament uh for for edmonton saint albert uh one of them anyway uh he says uh more scenes from the disgusting rally in my riding celebrating hamas's bar uh, barbarous acts against civilians kidnapping rape torture and murder equated his actions protected under international law. He says this is vile, and he's calling on Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, to condemn what he calls blatant anti-Semitism. Sohi's faced fierce criticism over the weekend, uh, and and we can get into that in just a little bit. But but what do you make of of Canadians that are turning out uh, to demonstrations, pro-Palestine demonstrations, hours after these terror attacks? Well, as I say, there's there's no way to justify. You can talk about the Middle East peace process, and you can talk about uh, Israel versus Palestine until uh, the cows come home. But if you want to justify Hamas uh, terrorism, uh, then there, there's something wrong with you. And uh, yes, if you if you're just uh, sorry, uh, you asked me in the past, uh, uh, can you be anti-Israeli government and uh, and still be uh, and, and not be anti-Semitic? And I've said to you a thousand times, of course, uh, I'm not crazy about the. Israeli government. I'm vehemently opposed to most of what uh, Netanyahu's government does. That doesn't make me anti-Semitic. And if I uh, were Christian or Muslim or anything else, it still wouldn't make me anti-Semitic. But if if you have trouble uh, with the idea of condemning Hamas terrorism and you support what Hamas uh, has been doing in the last uh, few days, uh, killing and butchering uh, civilians, um, then and and only because they're Jewish then you, you may have an anti-Semitic problem. You've got uh, some people in, in Australia uh, screaming, kill the Jews and gas the Jews. If if someone wants to tell me that uh, chanting, kill the Jews and gas the Jews, someone wants to tell me that that isn't anti-Semitic, conversation's not going to last very long. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was blown away to see people uh, organizing rallies in support of Palestine, and I was blown away to see so many people attending them over the weekend. I just felt that it was uh, just a horrific uh, lack of judgment. I think that it, it celebrates uh, terrorism and, and talking about how it's, you know, you, you hear these people and the, the voices, I don't know who it was, or I'd certainly cite them uh, in that video, the demonstration in Edmonton, talking about how this is decolonization in action. We've tried everything. We are entitled to this 
this approach under international law, and I'm sitting there going, are you listening no, to no. yourself talk? Are you no are cu- you cutting cu- cutting the heads off babies is is not something that is admissible in international law, no matter what your cause, no matter how righteous you think you are, no matter how righteous your cause, uh, there there are limits uh, to what humans can do to other humans. And if you have trouble understanding that, get a library card, um, you'll get help. Uh, this is a hard swerve on subject matter, but but obviously, uh, you know, you're, you, you've been a proud Winnipegger for, for many, many years and an historic election win uh, for Wab yeah. Canoe and the NDP sending Heather Stephenson and the, the incumbent PCs packing. What's 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 a storyline out of that election or what's something you're going to be keeping an eye on in the first hundred days when it comes to the office of premier Wab Canoe? I didn't. Uh, I didn't vote for Wab Canoe. I don't vote for the NDP uh, in Manitoba, uh, and I didn't vote for the PCs either, which is a little new for me. I cast a vote because I feel that you know can't support democracy without uh, supporting elections. So I, I cast a vote for the uh, the provincial Liberals, uh, which are a tiny party as they are in Alberta, and that was just my way of. Uh, I wouldn't say spoiling the ballot, but it was my way of participating. But it really. What it was is my way of sending a message to the uh, Manitoba PCs that uh, their behavior in this campaign was just uh, sickening. And um, I was surprised that many of my Manitoba PC uh, neighbors went all the way and, and actually did vote for the for the NDP. So good on them. The PCs need to be in the penalty box for a minimum of, of four years. If you're asking me what's the most outrageous thing they did in the campaign, um, they decided to post ads uh, taking pride in the idea of saying no to digging up um, the remains of two murdered young Aboriginal women. Um, uh, the, and and the, the slogan they used was standing firm. So the idea of standing firm against uh, the remains of, of murdered Aboriginal women uh, or the idea of uh, standing firm, uh, I guess, indi- against indigenous groups um, who were naturally the most vocal about uh, demanding and, and even begging uh, for some help in, uh, in, in, in digging up uh, those remains and trying to dig up the landfill for those remains. But the idea of posting ads, uh, expressing pride in uh, saying uh, no uh, to the dig, and then of course uh, that naturally got a, um, a pushback, a strong reaction from uh, conservative voters, including people like like myself in uh, columns in the Winnipeg Free Press. And uh, so the uh, PCs decided to do another ad, uh, saying that um, if you feel ashamed of uh, supporting the PCs, understand that you've got a secret ballot. Uh, those are the words I'm using to interpret what that ad was about. Um, but I've, I've never seen, and that's just politically the dumbest thing I've ever seen to, to say to a voter, by the way, I know you may feel ashamed of how we've conducted ourselves, but know that it's just between us. It's a, it's a secret ballot. No one has to know that you're voting uh, for a shameful proposition. Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to be honest, one of the worst, uh, provincial election campaigns in recent history, uh, maybe in Canadian history, just for the simple fact that that days and hours before the election, people that were sympathetic to the PCs were openly and publicly talking about how appalled they were at the campaign tactics. And I, I just think, uh, like you said, four years in the penalty box, 
Um, you know, there, there, there could be, you know, economic implications for some, depending on what Premier Canoe's budgets look like and the like. He's talked about fulsome supports for not just indigenous populations, but others as well. He's talking a lot about fixing health care in Manitoba. Uh, he deserves a shot. I think that it's going to be uh, an, an inspiring story to watch in particular if he's successful early on and wins over some people that may have initially been skeptics, but uh, it's a story that also obviously has implications across the country. It breaks up that, that kind of conservative stronghold, right? Like, yeah, it you know, from Alberta all the way Ryan, through. There's, there's one thing I'd like to say that I wouldn't say on anyone else's podcast, but I know that it, this is something that uh, you know, you feel, you understand, and means something to you. One of the things that troubled me most about the Manitoba PC campaign was their opposition to the idea of redemption. Whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, I, I don't, I don't really care. Um, if if we stop believing in redemption, if we stop believing that people can redeem themselves, and I don't know what the point of living really is, uh, because it is so absolutely important. It's a critical value. It's not a PC value or an NDP value, right wing value. It's not a Canadian value. It's an international. It's a universal human value. The the idea that we can do better. And so, so much of the campaign was spent on reminding people of Wab Canoe, who is about to become the Premier of Manitoba, uh, to, to remind people about his uh, police record from the, the distant past. Um, he has rehabilitated himself, he's reformed himself, and he is a good human being. And the, the idea that your message is that this human being couldn't possibly have redeemed himself, and the implication, the dog whistle implication is because he's Indigenous. So I, I just want to say to, to my, my fellow Canadians that I believe in redemption, and I think most of us do, and I don't think very many of us want to sign off on the idea that all of us can redeem ourselves except Indigenous people. That's heinous, it's racist, and it should never be rewarded with a political victory. And I am, as a human being, not as a Manitoban, but as a Canadian human being, I am happy that that kind of garbage was not rewarded at the ballot box. You'll hear or see Charles Adler on the first episode every week of Real Talk, and we're sure grateful for that. Thanks, as always, for your Canadian common sense, Charles. Thank you. You bet. Uh, Charles, of course, the host of The Charles Adler Show. You can download that anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Charles Adler. I appreciate this comment from Justin in our live chat says what Israel's done to Palestine for decades is deplorable and so is this attack on Israel over the weekend the two are not mutually exclusive he says in my opinion this attack is going to hurt the Palestinian cause more than it'll help it's indefensible regardless of the situation and gives up any and all moral high ground uh, that from Justin we, we've got a, a lot of people uh, you know sharing their thoughts on the live chat mm -hmm. we appreciate that and you can find us talk at ryanjesperson.com meantime talking Manitoba provincial politics Jason says conservatives quick to blast Wab Canoe regarding his past uh, giving Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe a pass uh, for you know a lot of times it's the same conservatives talking of course Scott Moe uh, a history of uh, DUI and you can just google that if you want to learn more uh, Johnny I can tell we, we haven't even checked in yet and we're still going to be talking to Jana Pruden this show she's going to join us in just yeah. a couple of minutes but you and I haven't spoken on the record well it's um, been a very somber morning very it's a tough we're, like we've and we're hardly, about to talk about we've hardly talked it's you know this is horrible stuff going on in the world in in the the most important place for all like the majority of all the religious people in the world for a lot of them yeah this is the jewel for 
for the Jews, the for Holy Christians, Land, for the Muslims. Dome on the rock. The, and it's just been this hotbed for violence and all these horrors for so long. Yeah. It's just, it's indescribable. And then you've got like, you know, we're talking a lot about, obviously this is horrible what's going on. But then like, if you, if you see before this happened, if you just looked up the Gaza Strip or read about it or looked at video, I mean, it's like an open air prison. Like it's blocked from every side, land, sea, air. There's nothing getting in or out. So, and well, I mean, and like I said, the I mean, pressure on these people is just innocents are going to suffer in a huge way uh, based on this war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Israel saying, you know, we're cutting off food, fuel, power, water. Yeah. Uh, to Gaza, the, the implications there, it, it, it'll starve out and hurt and impact Hamas, uh, and also. Uh, you know, five million people. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's a horrific situation all around. That's why I appreciated Justin's comment where he says that, like, you know, when it when it when it comes to he says that the two are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. It can be a horrific situation uh, in the region over decades, and it can be horrific and deplorable over this weekend. It's horrible. And, and it's- I find, you know, I mean, for a lot of people trying to wrap their minds around this, a lot of people are not going to want to touch it. They're not going to want to talk about it publicly because they understand that. That uh-huh. people are planting flags, like literally, you know, I mean, even Amarjeet Sohi, I don't know if you saw, but, but a former city councilor uh, and a former candidate for mayor, Michael Oshry, who is Jewish, um, absolutely lambasting Edmonton's mayor over the weekend for for the fact that that he had not uh, made a statement unequivocally in support of yeah. Israel. As, as, as a matter of fact, you know, I mean, this was Amarjeet Sohi's take to localize this a little bit. Uh, this is our mayor in Edmonton. When when events unfold across the globe, his account tweeted uh, they can have a deep impact on people who live in our city. The attacks taking place in Israel and Gaza targeting innocent civilians are horrific. I know that many Edmontonians have friends and family in these areas, and I'm extending my support and empathy to them. He says, we stand with you and share in your hope for a just and lasting peace in the region. You know, people are pissed that he didn't use the word terrorism. People are pissed he didn't mention Hamas. People are pissed that he didn't say that Edmonton stands in solidarity with Israel. People are pissed that Edmonton's high-level bridge was not lit up Blue and white. Uh, real estate in Edmonton was the Alberta legislature at the directive of Alberta Premier Daniel Smith, mm-hmm. uh, but not so he. Uh, I'm not going to try to turn an international tragedy in this story into a story about Edmonton's mayor, but it goes to show. Well, this that is he, happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. Yeah. You know, and, and I've seen some people, you know, I mean, even on Twitter, they're account- like, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be silly here, but. But but you and I have often ref- referenced that that Twitter account Liza Minnelli outlives right mm-hmm. and and they'll you know as, as it's kind of like become people's go to for death amount death announcements Liza Minnelli outlives whomever insert celebrity name here mm-hmm. well the account stepped out of its typical style over the weekend and said this account stands in support of Israel mm-hmm. and even that created a huge you know kerfuffle because. You know, many followers of that account do not see eye to eye with. I mean, that's one example out of a million uh, where people are, are are planting a flag and stating their support for for one cause or another, and, and sometimes maybe losing the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect but, that we'll be talking. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, how can you not call out stuff though? I mean, I'm sure you're going to talk about it. I've seen you looking at it, but like this this music festival that was going on over Man. there. Like, if you read this story and then can't like in your mind say this is wrong these people who did it was like shooting them up at 7 a.m they're all clearly inebriated they're at a music festival there's rape going on you know i read a story about a a young guy like 
there's 16 and 17 year old Palestinian kids who've been recruited to Hamas who were taking away his this Israeli kid's girlfriend on the back of a motorcycle. Yeah. He's watching her go. God knows where she's going. Yeah. And then all of his friends are shot. He runs. He hides in a, like these stories that are coming out are just. It's not about taking a side. It's just about saying it's it's absolutely disgusting and yeah. horrific what's going on over there right now. And and I just think if your first instinct when this is happening and again, it's to I go out and wave a flag and to go wave a Palestinian flag and parade about it and talk Jesus. about de- what we're witnessing is decolonization in action. I tweeted about a a, a QP union. I think it was nine oh three. There was a union uh, representing McMaster University faculty over the weekend. Um, tweeting photos of roses and talking about how marvelous and wonderful this was that the people of Palestine, you know, and uh, and I was just and remain gobsmacked. The tweet has since been deleted. It was up for about a full day. Um, it, it's just it, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Uh, you, you could take issue with the United States uh, and how the United States conducts itself internationally. But if your first instinct uh, on 9-11 or 9-12 of 2001 would be to pick up you know, Saudi flags and wave them at ground zero. Uh, I just don't know what to tell you, you know, and I see a lot of people, uh, you know, trying to find some way to do the mental gymnastics to convince themselves that there's some justification for the horrors that were perpetrated on the elderly and on women and babies and unarmed civilians over the weekend. Uh, I can't even read about it. Like it, it, it blows me away to even read about it. And like, even how you're talking now, Ryan, some people are going to be pissed at you. I don't care. Peace. And, and and even us talking here today saying these things are bad. People are going to get upset. And it's like just been what's going on there yeah. forever, for absolute ever. Uh, we'll keep this conversation going. Obviously, uh, these are conversations we don't want to have, but we do. And you expect us to have them on a show called Real Talk. You can let us know what you think anytime uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Jenna Pruden's joining us in just a second. Uh, she's launched. We're talking about something completely different. It's still going to be heavy subject matter. I'm going to let you know. I know this audience is up for it. Uh, but she's just released the first two episodes of a podcast series through the Globe and Mail, In Her Defense, it's called. Uh, and this is an incredible story. It's a horrific story. It's a tragic story. A woman convicted of murdering her husband after enduring 30 years of absolutely brutal abuse uh, Jana was able to sit down with Helen Naslin on a number of different occasions as she was incarcerated at the Edmonton women's prison and the storytelling that Jana does as a result is some of the best that I've ever heard uh, this show doesn't happen without the support of sponsors like our friends at California closets who want to remind you that well everybody knows them for their closets and for their home organization for the storage solutions that they're able to bring people in the the main room or maybe the primary bedroom or maybe the new guest room maybe it's a murphy bed that allows you to have a home office but still welcome visitors at home as well Eh, sure of course that's what's made them famous but have you seen what they're doing for people's garages yeah that's right the garage is the workhorse of the home but oftentimes it's overlooked it's where we just stash everything it's where we throw things on the floor and forget about them and then When you need that battery for the lithium drill or you need that ice chipper to get the sidewalk nice and safe, never mind the garden hose comes spring, you have no idea where to find it. Well, California Closets can change that for you. They're doing an amazing job with storage cabinets and helping people not just increase the value of their home, 
but also their enjoyment, their quality of life in that home, your biggest investment. You can see more about what they're doing for people's garages designed to fit your space and your budget by looking them up online. Get a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. You know, we're proud in our family to feed our dogs, Moses and Monroe, Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food, and we've seen huge benefit from Grand Dog Essentials, uh, mostly on the health side. For Moses, it's been his joints that needed the support, and for Monroe, it's been, well, Monroe's actually living with some anxiety, to be honest with you, so she's got a supplement. She's got supplements that she's using, and we're finding all of them online at granddog.ca. You can check out the website right now, and don't forget the promo code REALTALK gives you 10% off your first time order at granddog.ca. They deliver to Calgary. They deliver to Edmonton. They deliver to Central Alberta. You can learn more by checking out the Shop Now link. All products for dogs and cats as well with Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. And a shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You know, I screwed up on something last week. I screwed up and I told you that the Sherwood Park, the Baseline Road DQ, was one of the top five busiest DQs in Canada. Johnny, I was corrected. It's top two in the country. It's top oh. four. It's top four in North America. Wow. I appreciate Michael Lieber, who's uh, the dude, the straw that stirs the drink over there. He reached out and he said, hey, he said, I love all the love. I appreciate all the love. Everybody talking about our sauced and tossed honey garlic chicken strip basket. He said, but the people of Sherwood Park should be nice and proud that their DQ is the second busiest in the nation. We're talking Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. When you go to pick up a chicken strip basket, you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Kind of a heavy morning for obvious reasons. And talking about conflict in the Middle East, and, and, and now we're about to talk about a story that I know is, is uh, a difficult one to process. But if there's anybody in the country that can do a story like Helen Naslin's Justice, it's Globe and Mail feature journalist Jana Pruden, who joins us in studio. It's so nice to see you. Thank you for making time for us today. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I wanted to let people know, sometimes just a little peek behind the curtain, that we had you scheduled to be first this morning. Everything happened over the weekend, and so I want to recognize your flexibility and let you know how much we appreciate it. You've been hanging out in our green room. Uh, the story of Helen Nasland, uh, you tell it masterfully. You've done so in print, and uh, now a podcast released uh, the first two episodes just today, a new podcast series, In Her Defense, uh, the story of Helen Nasland as told by you, uh, Amber Bracken, and your talented team. Helen Nasland's story didn't first get on your radar until, well, she had been tried. She was being sentenced. That's when you first had it land on your radar, yeah? Yeah, so there wasn't actually a trial. She pleaded guilty to manslaughter and uh, was sentenced to 18 years as a joint submission between her lawyer and the Crown. And so I heard about it through the local news. Johnny Wakefield from the Edmonton Journal has done Does excellent reporting. And uh, the case had sort of flown under the radar until her sentence uh, came out. And many people around the country were really outraged. And I wrote her a letter two days later. Yeah. Would, would you talk to us, uh, for, for people that aren't familiar with the story, tell us a little bit about, about who she is uh, and, and how it got to the point where she shot her husband in his sleep and dumped his body in a dugout with the help of one of her sons. I mean, 30 years of abuse before that night. 
Yeah, she's uh, someone who lived with very severe domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and um, a lot of abuse in the household to the sons as well. And um, she did plead guilty to killing him, uh, to to manslaughter. Um, One of the things that we explore in the podcast is really the idea of battered woman self-defense, which is um, self-defense that can happen even if someone is sleeping or, say, has their back turned towards you. So that's, I guess, one of the fundamental questions of this podcast is really what does justice look like when uh, someone who's been a victim for that period of time becomes the accused person um, and the person who is the uh, aggressor all these years, Miles Naslin, becomes the quote-unquote victim. So that's a fundamental question that we'll be exploring in the eight episodes of this podcast. It's uh, it's important listening, and I encourage everybody to do so. As mentioned, the first two episodes are out now. Uh, I listen to them start to finish, back to back, but it's difficult to listen to. Uh, it's difficult to hear somebody who, who uh, describes herself as half the size of, of her abuser, who's also her husband and the father of her children, uh, talk about almost daily abuse, uh, verbal abuse, what sounded like sexual abuse, uh, horrific physical abuse. There was animal abuse happening on the farm in, in so many ways that they were being docked um, from, from it sounded like slaughterhouses or next level uh, consumers uh, because the pigs uh, that they were selling were arriving in such poor condition with bruising and, and lacerations. Uh, she describes his, his threats to, to kill their children in front of her, to kill her. Uh, she said in a moment where my heart dropped listening to you tell the story, she told you she had lost count of the number of times she had a gun to her head. Uh, how do you process what you're hearing from Helen Nasland as you're interviewing her at the Edmonton Women's Prison? I mean, I just knew as we spoke just how important this story was. She lived with very severe abuse, but we know there are so many people who live with abuse um, that are that is this bad or you know some other versions of abuse. So I felt she was really opening herself up in the hope that it could help other people and that her experience can help others. So when she shared those things with me, and they are very difficult to hear, this is not an easy podcast, and at times to listen to, although I think ultimately there's a lot that's really beautiful about, you know, her survival and um, the way that people support her. Um, But I think um, I just I just felt so honored that she wasn't she felt she could share those things with me and trusted me to share them with others first on the page and then in her own voice. She's never spoken to a reporter before. Mm. And um, for her and her loved ones and her friends and family to open themselves up to this extent um, in this audio format is it's really remarkable and I think it does just speak to a desire to really take some of the you know stigma away from domestic violence put it out there um, so that we can all talk about it and you know one other thing I'd say is it has been so striking to me working on this project Um, I've been working over a year on uh, the Naslin story sometimes in amid other stories as well but you know the number of people who confide in me about their own lives, how their lives have been touched by domestic violence, whether it's themselves, whether it's a loved one, and sometimes very 
unexpected people um, will share really heartfelt things to me. So I really believe and hope that this is an important story for all kinds of people and that there's a lot of really powerful lessons to be learned from Helen. Yeah, I mean, even in, in, in the small things you do, that just, I mean, it shows your, your journalistic integrity, it shows your empathy and signing off on your podcast and reminding people about resources that are available for domestic uh, abuse survivors. I mean, you recognize that this podcast obviously will be reaching some people who are living exactly what they're hearing about. I mean, can, can you remind me who it was? You feature uh, a character, uh, I mean, it's a real person, obviously, one of Helen's connections. Maybe it was her sister um, in episode two who, who when asked why she didn't do anything, uh, of course, she wanted to protect Helen, who had confided in her about the, bu- about the abuse, but she also says, I had my own things going on. She was also experiencing abuse. I mean, it just, to me, it, it, it just reiterated how many people are, are bravely, but almost silently surviving and presenting themselves to society every single day, whether it's for their own well-being, the well-being of their children, or for some other reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I wrote a piece on the weekend in the Globe and Mail, sort of a little first-person piece just about the this story and an earlier what is now called sometimes the battered woman self-defense idea. Um, and, you know, I... In that piece, I talked a little bit about how there are people in my life that, you know, I have said, I'm worried that he will kill you. There's people that I have worried that their partner or their ex-partner would do something to harm them or to harm their children. And in that piece, I wrote, you know, it's personal for me, but it's personal for you too, even if you don't know it. And the numbers statistically, I mean, anyone listening to this either has been affected by domestic violence themselves or someone they love has. That's just simply the numbers. And sometimes we know it because people are able to confide in us and sometimes we don't because people are hiding it. Or like Helen, they think they're hiding it even if they aren't. You know, Helen's community, Mm. a lot of people saw that something was going on but no one knew what to do about it. And to me, that really speaks to this necessity of community action. And that in the end is what what helps Helen. Obviously, after things got to a very bad point and she was looking at the rest of her life in jail, her son was as well, Um, but it was community and individual people coming together that, that helped her. And I think that's, when I think about what helps this um, scourge and epidemic of domestic violence, it's people coming together and people helping each other that um, is the only answer I can see. Did, did uh, and, and people, by the way, can, of course, subscribe to In Her Defense anywhere they get their podcasts, but also they can read your work at theglobeandmail.com. We're talking to uh, features journalist Jana Pruden here live in studio. Did Helen tell you why she agreed to grant you this interview? It's First of all, for you, um, it, it feels weird to use the word honor. Um, there comes with it a huge sense of responsibility to properly tell her story, to do her story justice, to, to almost, do you, do you see it as, would I describe it as advocacy journalism? I mean, are you comfortable with that phrase? Can, can you take us into that dynamic? Um, I mean, I always consider myself a journalist. I'm not necessarily an advocate per se, although I think that, like we should all believe that people shouldn't get beat in their houses. So um, I guess in that sense, yes, I'm ad- I am advocating for everybody to be safe at home and to not be the subject of physical, emotional abuse, um, sexual abuse, coercive control. 
Um, I do think, you know, to me, the word is privilege. It is a real privilege to yes. be able to hear someone's story that they trust you to share it with you. These were very difficult interviews. I mean, we're talking hours. I think the first interview we did was almost five hours and uh, talking about things that had never been spoken before. I mean, that's one of the things when you look at systemically um, how Helen is failed in the justice system, because I do believe she was failed in the justice system, um, that there's no point at which she actually really is able to speak about her experience in a way that could then have an outcome, should have, should have had an effect on the outcome of her sentence. So instead, she's, she's for the most part silent all the way through the process. So to me, I, I really wanted to hear her story in her voice. Um, and I think why she agreed to do it, she is someone, she described herself to me once as someone who prefers to hide in the corners. She mm. does not want all of this attention um, is very difficult for her. When the print piece ran, the Globe and Mail, the full front page was her photo. And we had a conversation then about, you know, are you okay for me to still go ahead with a podcast on this? Of course, which puts her out there in a whole other way. It's eight episodes, it's very long. Um, we really get into things in a very deep way. And um, she said yes, and really Helen's motivation all this time has been to help others. And mm. the, when I first wrote her, I mean, I, I really passionately do believe that her story is very important and that it can teach people a lot and that by looking at the way her case then moves through the system, that hopefully um, the system can change to help other survivors and victims um, who face similar challenges that Helen did. I don't know if I would describe our live chat as split right now, uh, but there certainly are people, um, I've seen several commenters say, well, uh, abuse is horrific, uh, but there's no justification for murder. Um, did she file police reports? We'll oftentimes hear for survivors or victims of, of domestic abuse, why didn't you just leave? Um, and you've touched on it in those first two episodes. She comments on it and says, where am I gonna go? I've tried, she tried once. Uh, with, with terrible consequences. Um, does she believe, based on what you heard from her, and maybe you reveal this in later episodes, but how does she believe that she is perceived in the court of public opinion? Or does she care? Oh, she cares very, very much. Um, and she knows that there will be some people who, who, I guess, ask these questions that you've said, you know, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't you just call the police? Um, some people who say, yep, absolutely nothing justifies what she did. Um, but overwhelmingly, I do think this is an area where sort of the public, even people who might call themselves very law and order, very crime and justice, a lot of people very instinctively feel like, you know, that's wrong that she got 18 years in prison and um, people understand the injustice of that at a very, at a very deep level, I think. Um, and to, to people that, that do think, well, why didn't she just leave? Uh, why didn't she just call the police? And you know, that nothing would justify this. I would just honestly, I do understand all of those questions. I take them in and there are things that we address in the podcast. I just would really encourage people to listen to it um, with an open mind, all eight episodes as they come out week by week. And I do feel like you're, you're 
opinion and perspective might change. You know, the complexity of domestic violence relationships, it's, it's very complex. And even this idea of why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she just go to a shelter? Well, shelters are a wonderful and very important resource. They are underfunded. They are full to bursting. They have uh, wait lists. They have people being turned away because they can't get into shelters. When you get into an emergency shelter, it's for a limited time, usually about 21 days. You can't, it's not like you're going into a shelter and they just give you a house and you're going to, you know, <laughs> go on with your life in secret. I mean, there's, it's very, very complex. When you talk about rural women, rural people, this is an even, you know, greater and more complex situation to leave your animals, um, you know, of course, your children, there's other people you love. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about how Helen could have gotten away and in a way where she didn't die where and or her kids didn't die and or other people didn't die. I mean, that's the reality of these. We look at some of the mass murders that I've covered, Port of Peak, James Smith Cree Nation, a mass murder that we had in Edmonton a few years ago, the Fulam case. You know, the connection between domestic violence and mass murder, very well established. It's commonly known that domestics are the most dangerous things that police respond to. Sometimes police officers are killed, sometimes random people. And I can tell you that for a long time, why Helen stayed and felt she could not leave is because she was trying to protect other people and make sure that her children weren't killed, make sure neighbors, police officers, whoever else um, were safe in the I believe the best way that she thought she could. I just, I was experiencing, I, I, I listened to the, to, to the one episode and you're talking about, I mean, I, I'm not, I, or I'm not here to get into like, you know, obviously human life is more valuable than like, but the point is nobody was safe on that farm from, from, from the wife to the sons, to the dog, to the pigs, to the pet ferret. Nobody was safe. It, it was just, it is a horrific a reality to try to comprehend, but you cannot, unless you've walked miles in these boots, unless you yourself are a survivor, cannot understand what that stress, what that anxiety, what that pain would be like. I mean, people, you know, you, you, she, she tells you how uh, she desperately wanted some normalcy for her boys when they were young to, to be able to have kids to come over and play at the farm. Um, his the abuser I'm referring to him as, his initial response was always no. And then when she finally got the green light, then other families who had seen bruising around her eyes and had heard the rumblings in small rural communities about what was allegedly or what was going on didn't want their kids there. I mean, there was no normalcy for these boys. Uh, before we go any further, I want to let people know that if you're listening in our home province of Alberta, um, if this is speaking to you in a painful but very relevant way, you can check out more resources that are available, uh, including domestic violence shelters that are open and ready to help you by visiting the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters online at acws.ca. And I'd also like to refer your attention to our episode of Real Talk. It was on uh, March 8th. That was a Wednesday of this year, Wednesday, March 8th of 2023 on International Women's Day. The episode is called Lifesavers and Game Changers. And you will hear a firsthand story uh, from Candace Ryan of her uh, survival from uh, domestic abuse. And I encourage you to check that out if you're endeavoring to learn more about the reality of that crunch on shelter space in Alberta and for that matter, uh, across Canada. What do you ultimately hope 
this podcast. Like, this is a little bit different for you, right? I mean, you're a veteran features reporter, long form reporter. You've you've been nationally recognized for your work. You and I have spoken many times about it. Uh, you've you've been writing on crime and justice and punishment for more than 25 years. But this is a bit different, I would imagine. This project for you. What do you ultimately hope to see it accomplish? Yeah, I think um, the show's producer, Kasia Mihailovic, who, you know, she's a veteran in the podcast world. I have never mm. done a podcast. My radio experience has been limited to being on your show and <laughs> CBC occasionally. Um, I think that our hope is not only to um, share Helen's story, which we both we believe is important. She is a real person. Her story and her family's experience is very important. But I do hope it will... Um, help other survivors and victims feel seen that their experience is um you know valid and is real i hope that it will stimulate discussion i mean one question that we um that comes up a lot is you know what made miles the way he was and and could something have helped him could something have mm. interceded to help him i think that's a really important discussion that men need to be having um sometimes with each other uh, to help not only help a, a victim run, but to help a man stop and get help. And I don't know if that would have been possible with Miles. And then really the other piece is um, this, I think some very real systemic changes in the way that lawyers view cases involving battered women. That's the actual legal court term, battered Seems women. Seems like a weird phrase, by the way. <laughs> it's a little old fashioned. Um, but battered women self-defense is a really important area of the law. And I think that um, I would encourage any lawyer listening to this to, and in fact, civilians too, to pick up a copy of Defending Battered Women on Trial by Dr. Elizabeth Sheehy, and to really think about how um, survivors of domestic violence can move differently through the court system and the police system, because it's very clear that these systems that were created um, by men and largely designed for men fail women like Helen. They're just mm. not made for her. And so that those are systemic changes uh, that I hope, you know, even even a police officer thinking about that, even a, a defense lawyer thinking about that, that that could have very real impacts on other survivors who find themselves in the court system in some way. Just a small point of interest, uh, the prosecutor uh, in that sentencing, uh, Dallas Sopko was sitting in the chair you're sitting in uh, <laughs> less than two weeks ago, not talking about this, um, but, but, but talking about some of the pressures on the criminal justice system, him and then the, the, the president of the Association for Criminal Defense Lawyers. So it was interesting conversation that people can talk about. And that was more of them addressing or doing their best for coming from two different sides of the courtroom to address Canada's criminal justice program writ large. But, mm -hmm. but, uh, but interesting in kind of a small world. Uh, Helen Naslin was granted Daypril earlier this year. Uh, right. Uh, where do you I mean, I guess I'm asking you to speculate. Journalists get uncomfortable with that. Um, but but where do you see that going? And, and uh, what will you be watching as, as a storyteller detail wise? What would be most significant to you as this story develops? And, mm -hmm. and as Helen Nasland, ultimately, we, we hope I sure hope uh, is able to live as a free woman uh, again, uh, free of uh, the unimaginable burden of the abuse that she endured for three years, 30 mm -hmm. years. Yeah, you know, it, it won't be easy, and it's it's quite remarkable to think of someone really being truly free for the first time. You know, 
she met Miles. She was still a teenager. She marries Miles. She's in this um, highly controlling, abusive relationship for 30 years. Then, uh, even before his body was discovered, she has this secret that she was feeling very guilty about and, and certainly was not free. Then there's the court process. Then there's prison. And um, we're now looking at her being able to be truly free for the first time in her life. And I'm sure that won't be easy. Um, but I do really, I hope for her that she can find some peace and that she can, and some quiet yeah. and enjoy life. I know, you know, it's very, I think she's really nervous about the podcast coming out as I am as well. And, um, that, why are you nervous about it? Well, you know, um, I just, I really want to do this story justice yes. and, uh, the show's producer, Kasia Mihailovic, and myself. I mean, we both, we feel so passionately about that. And we have been working um, really like full out since we started working together on this. We, we, it's just so important to do it justice. I do feel it's a privilege that we get to tell this story. So we wanted to do it right. Um, it is a new kind of reporting for me. One thing, you know, it's not only me narrating it, there's tape of me doing interviews. That feels very vulnerable. That's yeah. not normally part of, you know, a, a written piece. A lot of people don't like to hear their own voice. No, no. Yeah. That's, I, I think a couple weeks in at a certain point, I was like, okay, now I don't want to gouge my ears off, every, or my ears yeah. out every time I listen to a piece of it. So that's probably a good thing. Um, and I hope it connects with people um, because I do think it's important. I do think that... Um, people should hear this story and think about this story and that it can have an effect that way. So those are the, a, a short list of the many things that I'm nervous about. Yeah, well, well I'm subscribed <laughs> and uh, I've, I've heard the first two episodes, which are were released, I think, right around six in the morning today. Um, and uh, I listened, I was telling you, just I don't, I, sometimes I like to hear when people will say, we, we listen to Real Talk when we walk the dog or when we ride our bike or when we're in, you know, on our commute on the train or something. And, and for me, it was, um, it, it, it was, it almost felt like a sacred hour today. I, I was up at three this morning, um, traveling back on the QE2 from, from our family Thanksgiving in, in Calgary to Edmonton. Uh, and in the quiet darkness of a, of a sparsely populated highway at that hour, um, and as the sun was sort of preparing, you know, at dawn to rise and you could start seeing the outline of, uh, of hay, of the bales that are still out there and of the outlines of some of the barns. And I'm listening to you and Helen uh, tell that story. It was, it was a, a, quite frankly, a, 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 an unforgettable experience. And, and that's a credit to you as a storyteller. It's, it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to be able to write in print, which you do masterfully. You're one of the best in the country. But to be able to, to, to tell an audio story uh, with as much or more power, um, you know, utilizing those pregnant pauses, as we call them, and, the, and, and, and just her, and um, as she struggles to find the words, um, and as listeners, we get uncomfortable with silence, <laughs> but it reiterates to you what she's going through in trying to retell this and recount this. Um, I could hear the rustle of the papers as you're reading the letters she's written you, you know, seeing in her own handwriting. Um, acknowledging to you, I think there was one line she said, um, you know, you're, how, how can I find the words? How can I adequately describe it? You're asking me about a lifetime of abuse to be, to, to be put into a few paragraphs. How, how, can, how can you put that in a way that people can understand and you can't? Um, but, but, but her recounting getting the pigs loaded up onto a trailer, um, to me, was, was in, in, in the early couple of episodes, one of the more powerful things I've ever heard 
Uh, I was I was deeply uncomfortable listening to it. Uh, you know, you find yourself feeling sorry for pigs, and this is a story about humans. You find yourself nervous about the well-being of a ferret because you just realize how deeply this entrenches itself, this violence and this fear, uh, and how many families uh, we expect are, are, are navigating this, in particular women and children. Um, and so I'm grateful that you're doing this. Uh, it's a remarkable project. Uh, I, I know that you'd be uncomfortable if I say you deserve to be applauded for doing it. Um, but this is a story that deserves to be told. And she should be, Helen now is in a household name in Canada. Uh, it should be a story that people truly endeavor to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for those thoughts. I and mean it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Mm. Jana Pruden uh, is one of the Globe and Mail's best. Uh, and you can find her new project anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you name it. The podcast in her defense, you can subscribe to it. And I can tell you, somebody who does podcasts for a living, Jana would really appreciate if you rate it and review it as well. Give it five stars after you give it a listen and tell your friends about it. And don't forget, if you want to support Jana's journalism and the journalism of her team, you can do what we do here at Real Talk and subscribe to The Globe and Mail. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be here. You got a lot of respect for what you're doing, Jana. Thanks very much. Give Thanks Jana a follow on Twitter as well, Jana underscore Pruden. Uh, this conversation was presented by the team at Eden Landscaping, who wants to let you know that it's uh, never too soon uh, to get in touch with their team about a spring project or maybe something next summer. You're starting to set that budget aside. You've got a good idea on exactly what you want that to look like, but you need that expert eye. You're looking for advice so you can make sure that the plans reflect your intended outcome and of course also respect your budget those are both relevant right we've worked with eden landscaping personally and i can tell you that they are masters at their craft their design work really really special you can connect with eden landscaping and get that conversation started by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca well we know that this has been a show that, uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, we're, I'll let you know, Johnny, by the way, coming up on Friday, our Real Talk Roundtable this week, we're celebrating Alberta Beer Week. Uh, so we're going to be getting three of the uh, most talented experts uh, in their own fields, all relating to brewing. We're going to have a, a couple owners, a, a brewmaster, um, a certified beer judge, the publisher. Ooh, of, nice. Yeah, I mean, we're just <clears throat> talking beers um, because. And, and, 9 a.m. <laughs> and, and, and even earlier, it's starting at 8.30. And I let them know uh, there's going to be no judgment because we're definitely cracking cans. Yeah, and you're going to have to test it. We're going to be drinking beers while we talk on Friday. But but that's intentional, number one, because it's a great uh, industry that, that craft brewers, especially in Alberta, should be proud of. Mm -hmm. uh, but also because you know we're, we're going to balance this week out because there's going to be a lot of emotions, including today. Um, but these are conversations that we know need to be had. And, and I'm just grateful for this audience that shows up for it mm -hmm. uh, every single day right here on Real Talk. Uh, everything that we said about Jana's podcast, we say about ours as well. We sure appreciate when you tell your friends about Real Talk, when you subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, and when you rate and review us wherever you find us. Uh, we're going to wrap up with something that, that really struck me, and uh, sometimes we'll get uh, submissions from audience members for this weekly tradition. This is presented by Kubi Renewable Energy. Uh, but this is one I, I, I just came across, and I read it about five times in a row. Um, every week, we want to give you a reason to realize that there's uh, evidence we should have faith in humanity, that, that people do uh, want to treat each other well, that there is a lot of love out there. I mean, maybe today's episode, this is more important than, than ever before. So thanks to Kubi Renewable Energy, this is Positive Reflections. And, and I found this, 
And, and Johnny, I want to I attribute this. I, I believe that this is uh, a man by the name of Peter Coldwell that wrote this. Uh, I found it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. He writes, have you ever thought about this? In 100 years from now, like in 2123, we'll all be buried with our relatives and friends. Uh, strangers will live in our homes that we fought so hard to build, and they'll own everything that we have today. All our possessions will be unknown and unborn, including the car that we spent a fortune on and will probably be scrap metal, preferably in the hands of an unknown collector, but we don't know. Our descendants will hardly know 100 years from now who we were, nor will they remember us. How many of us know our grandfather's father? Mm -hmm. After we die, we'll be remembered for a few more years, and then we're just a portrait on someone's bookshelf. And a few years later, our history, our photos, our deeds disappear into history's oblivion. We won't even be memories. If we paused one day to analyze these thoughts, perhaps we would understand how ignorant and weak the dream to achieve it all really was. If we could only think about this, surely our approaches, our thoughts would change. We would be different people, always having more, no time for what's really valuable in this life. I would change all of this to live and enjoy the walks I've never taken, these hugs I didn't give, these kisses for our children and our loved ones, these jokes we didn't have time for. Those would certainly be the most beautiful moments to remember. After all, they would fill our lives with joy. And we waste it day after day with hatred for each other, intolerance, and many other negative attitudes. So let's think about it. That by Colonel Peter Coldwell. It's our positive reflection on this Tuesday and throughout this week. We encourage you to send us your positive reflection, maybe a random act of kindness or someone paying it forward to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Just note positive reflections or Kubi Renewable Energy in the subject line. And don't forget, you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, we'll talk to law professor Ben Perrin. He was Stephen Harper's justice advisor when Harper was PM. He says he's got the fix in a new book for Canada's criminal justice system. Coming up on Thursday, you already know this if you subscribe to our email, we're going to be talking to Alberta's finance minister, the Honorable Nate Horner, about the Alberta pension plan. And then again, cheers to Alberta beers, our Friday Real Talk roundtable. Thanks for being a part of this episode. Thanks for supporting Real Talk. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.